Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, October the 10th, I got gotcha. you. Minor detail. Um, Lethbridge Hurricanes, what are the challenges managing a competitive and viable Western Hockey League hockey club? So, all you hockey fans, and you know that Lethbridge's uh, team is uh, struggling. Uh, it'll be a very interesting topic. The presenters will be Brian McNaughton and Brian Wickers, uh, who are in the uh, uh, Lethbridge Hurricane organization. And this evening, this evening at 7 at the uh, public library, uh, again, go early because last night it was uh, bursting at the seams and uh, there was standing room only. Uh, this evening uh, will be the uh, Meralty candidates uh, uh, and uh, the discussion there starts at 7 p.m. at the library and that's in the uh, theater gallery starting at 7. So be there early tonight. <coughs> All right. Uh, just before we start, uh, as everyone, I believe, in Lethbridge knows, we're in the uh, midst of a civic election, and we have several uh, municipal candidates uh, who are here this, uh, today. I would just like them all for just, we'd like to just acknowledge them if they would all stand up, those of you who are for elected office in our civic election. Everybody just stand up. And uh, thank you for being here, and thank you for uh, putting yourselves out there to uh, uh, represent uh, the community. We do appreciate that. Now, I want to, before we start, I want to make this very clear. When we uh, we're here for a discussion, uh, we're not here for long pontification from uh, people. Uh, you can make a brief statement, identify yourself, make a brief statement. Uh, and then ask your question. Uh, this is a Q&A session, and uh, we will stop at 1.30 sharp. And uh, as the uh, gentlemen, uh, both uh, uh, Tim and Dave, have said, they will be here afterwards for uh, conversation as well, but the formal part will end at 1.30. So I'll uh, turn it over uh, to uh, Tim and Dave now. Uh, thank you, Bob. I wanted to make a couple uh, brief remarks for some clarification that uh, I've learned over the course of lunch. Uh, the website for the project that is currently being set up is penny-project.ca, penny-project.ca should be live next week. We are early in our consultation. We are still uh, not 100% in project planning and definition. Uh, a certain element of that completion involves the input from people such as yourselves here today. So uh, you might find that Dave and I, albeit uh, we like to think of ourselves as experts, uh, there's a good chance there's going to be an answer or two we won't have uh, full for you. Uh, should we not be able to know the answer or have the information, we'll certainly take that question and ensure that it gets reflected back at least on the website 
I'd also need to add for clarification, the presentation we went through earlier uh, is going to be in SACPA's hands and will be uploaded to their website immediately. I understand all of the hard copies we brought. There's a few stragglers still left on the table out there. But the exact same presentation will be on the SACPA website as well as at penny-project.ca. Okay? Okay. Then there was also one last piece around where these wells are located. And so... Sure. Okay. That's what we're here for. So. Okay. Uh, thank you, uh, Rena Wass. I'm running for Lethbridge City Council. Uh, we are the sun and wind capital of Canada. Uh, we can easily um, uh, open the doors to a green economy here. Um, the number one threat facing the human race is climate change, directly resulting from the fossil fuel industry. If this is one instance where the city council can really pull together and not allow you to use our municipal water, which you desperately need, this is one of those times. Um, have you ever been uh, not allowed into a community? And what can we do to stop you from being here? <laughs> okay. In my experience, communities have been open to me as an individual. Uh, we have had uh, projects where there's been resistance. Uh, that exists, as I mentioned, in some of the common issues that are faced by proponents of different kinds in different jurisdictions and different types of projects. Um, our interest is to balance uh, all of the viewpoints on the table. Yes, municipal water is looking at being sourced for some of this activity, whether that's Lethbridge or not. Again, as I mentioned in the last slide, it will be determined by all of us. Okay. Hi, I'm Jenny Skinner, and we moved to the west side in 1958. Uh, we've had experiences with Bonavista. We've had experience with you people. They came and offered to drill an oil well, which we refused. Okay. Now, one thing we found out, when the oil company talked to us, and what they offered to us, was certainly not explained in person. Another thing I have found out, that you sign a 20-year lease, and at the end of the 20 years, it's renegotiable by the oil company only. So if these oil, comp if these oil wells go in city property, that property is tied up for 40 years, and we have a Bonavista line running through quarter section that is going to be a big detriment. And we all know there is no oil shortage in Alberta. Why are you have to drill in the city limits? Great question. And one that was raised by uh, City of Lethbridge staff. Uh, why here? Why now? Yeah. And uh, part of the explanation from Golden Key is we purchased the minerals we need to uh, uphold our agreement with the provincial government to attempt to extract those minerals. Yeah, we have a couple of surface locations here, and they sit inside. And Dave, do you want to explain a little bit where they are in proximity to uh, existing and proposed and possible future development? Can I just add one more statement? Make it, make it short, please. Living on the west side... The city had a quarter section which they allowed uh, Bonavista to drill on. Thank God it was a dry well. 
Otherwise, there would be a pumping well right where all the high schools are now located. Yeah, we're aware okay. there's an existing Bonavista well that's in much closer proximity than the ones Golden Key is proposing. And Dave might be able, uh, wait, actually off the map here. Yeah. No. But needless to say. Yeah. Um, Have you seen the. Uh, uh, next question, please. Excuse me. Ex- ex- excuse me. Excuse me. Next question, please. You've had your chance, Lee. Thank you. Bev Mintel-Atherstone. Thank you very much, Tim and Dave, for your very slick presentation. But we are not blind, and you have not put blinders on us. Even if you use the word stimulating for the old euphemism of fracking. Uh, I live one and a half kilometers from the Bonavista collection site. I live in Sunset Acres. Um, Every time we drive past this, we can smell. We can smell the gas. This is only um, about two kilometers west of the Chinook High Schools, where we are sending our children. Not not we particularly, but Lethbridge. I just want to tell you that um, what we've experienced over this time is that the oil companies sell the wells. So you come in, you do something, you promise Lethbridge something, then it's sold. So Pinnacle came, they sold their, their gas collection site to someone else. Then they sold it to Bonavista. So I guess um, uh, it's my understanding that, these, um, that there's no carryover from one, one oil company's promises to the next. Um, no question? Okay. It seems to me that you're, that you're um, coming into Lethbridge with your fracking and your drilling is the thin edge of the wedge, that this will be precedent-setting in order to get into Lethbridge. My question is, what, what do you tell the next people who buy your oil and gas properties? Do they have to follow up with the promises you make to us? And if you've given it some thought, what, what might you suggest could work or has worked in the past to, to get at that and address that concern? We were promised that it would be just a little pipe sticking out of the ground. Bonavista now has two acres of land, and now you're working with Bonavista that if this should go through, that you will be trucking with these gigantic trucks as long as this room and weighing thousands of tons to go along our the Lethbridge gravel roads and, and ruin the roads and then go out to your site and this site will increase from the two acres it currently is to who knows how many acres. Again, with that wind blowing into Lethbridge towards the schools. Okay, so uh, a few key things. Uh, to be clear, uh, there is a single stage hydraulic fracture that will occur for each of these wells. One time event for each well. Secondly, um, there is a proximity issue. It's a local issue. Uh, we are aware of potential future development. We have on the table a topic with both local landowners and the City of Lethbridge staff to negotiate a sunset clause in that when development gets to a certain point, Golden Key will be committed to removing and reclaiming their facilities. Until you sell it to someone else, and then it, it's all new negotiations, and okay. everything that you've promised us is 
is deleted. Thanks. So your view Thanks, would be Beth. that a, a legal contract should be in place so that it gets upheld to whoever perhaps sells any or all of this infrastructure at some point down the road. Yeah. 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 My yeah. point was that you don't okay, have Bev, to do that. Okay, Bev, that's good. Thanks. Thanks. Next question. As soon as you ask your question, please uh, go to your seat then. Thanks. So we can move this along. There's a lot of people who want to ask questions. Sheila Rogers. Uh, thanks for your presentation, Tim and Dave. Uh, I noticed that there was a lot of concern and a lot of sort of movement in the room when you talked about things like the fact that the, uh, your provincial regulator did not require that you do an emergency response plan uh, and, you know, other things that people were concerned about. But I think it's really important for people to understand that the Alberta Energy Regulator, which is the body that regulates all oil and gas in the province of Alberta, is 100% financed by industry. And that's not just me thinking that it might be 100% financed by industry. That's according to the 2013 Alberta budget. So considering the regulator that regulates oil and gas in Alberta is funded by that same group that they regulate, how can we be sure that, that uh, people and the public's concerns are taken into effect when, when it seems to me that it's the fox guarding the hen house? I like to think that you want to say something? I like to think that my words here today and the, the uh, approach of Golden Key will be such that that trust can be developed somewhat, if not a lot, over time and the course of these conversations and this consultation process such that you can take on balance the regulations in play of the day, other legislative elements and laws, things that are priorities and importance to different interest groups, all on balance. While there are people of that view, uh, we want to make sure we try and balance all of those interests, including the regulations of the day, however they may be funded. David? So, so I mean, your question speaks to uh, how can they really be objective in, in what they're doing. And, I mean, I, I spent time on that side, and i got to tell you that a lot of the direction that... Uh, the workers and the staff get at the regulator comes from the legislation. At one point, I, I can honestly tell you, uh, because the funding model has changed over the years, I never even realized what the funding model was. I had my job to do, and it was to enforce the regulations. And that was the bottom line. And that's what we're held to by the Auditor General and all of the other watchdogs within the government. So, so you can be jaded about that, but, I mean, the analogy that I get, I guess I can use, and maybe it's not the best one, analogies always fall apart, but when that cop pulls me over and gives me a speeding ticket, he's enforcing the law. I'm paying his salary, so therefore I should be able to influence the outcome. Uh, maybe my wife has better luck in inf influencing the outcome, but I, I certainly don't have that kind of luck. So, so it's the same kind of thing. The regulator has a job to do, and they're directed by the, by the act, and they have to adhere to it. And so I guess that's all I can say about that. Okay. Next question. Thank you, Tim and Dave. My name is Deb Jarvie. Um, in industry, even the big players recognize that probably the most important thing in this kind of an operation is the uh, wellbore integrity. And in your wellbore discussion, you were um, just mentioned that you have a seven-inch well casing, which is fairly small compared to some of the other operations. Uh, I think if this were to go ahead, that the public would need more information. Are you sandblasting before you're cementing? How are you going to deal with the serious problems of cementing a horizontal line and when there is a gas leak which can 
require about a million dollar fix on the spot. Does the 3.09 liability ratio take into account the contingent liabilities for this kind of repair? Thank you. Can you handle that one? Great. So, yeah, so what are the contingencies? What have we done to make sure this is uh, operating properly? Seven-inch casing on a 17-inch hole or a 1,700-meter hole like this is actually uh, larger than normal. Usually five, five-and-a-half-inch casing is used. But, um, and so they want to, want to make sure that uh, they have pr plenty of room for tubing and, and, and good wellbore geometry. But, so, but, but just to correct you there on, on one item, there is no horizontal leg in this, in this well. And so um, uh, standard type of casing and cementing operations are going to be in place. And uh, certainly uh, when we do the cement job, though, uh, prior to the, uh, any kind of perforating or any kind of work that's done, a bond log is run on that, not only to, to, cut the, uh, to evaluate the bond between the hole and the cement, but also the casing and the cement. So it's a double inspection, and that's run up and down that casing prior to any further work doing it. So those are some of the mitigation that happens on a well bore like this. Um, and I forget, what was, was there another point? <laughs> Sorry, I but I, I think... Next question. Oh, the liability rating. Great. So, yes. Um, so, so with the regulator, if there was an incident, there's obviously insurance that the company will be carrying. Uh, if that's not sufficient to, to clean up, um, the resources, all of the resources of the company then will be used to address that problem. Should that run out, like all their other production facilities, those are sold and get the, get the funds for that, then, then there is an abandonment, um, an orphan, I guess an orphan abandonment fund that's available in the province for unique situations like that. So there's sort of a, a, few, a few layers of protection there uh, before anybody in the taxpaying realm would have to foot the bill for this kind of thing. Okay. Next. My name is Tom Kane. Thank you for coming. Um, I don't like that you just called the previous speaker. She had a jaded perspective. I'd like to quote. I went to a meeting in Warner uh, over a year ago. Uh, it was jointly done by Agriculture and AERCB. Now that's changed to AER. Um, anyhow, at that time, the gentleman who was representing industry asked for us to treat him civilly and to not give him too much a rough time. So at the end of six hours, we only had a half an hour presentation day. Six, you know, it's a complicated issue. I learned a lot in those six hours. One of the things was that um, we don't really know what's going down in the ground. You uh, glossed over that pretty quickly. So my question would be, um, what is really going in the ground with the water? And this gentleman from industry said, you know, in British Columbia, the legislature, you said you have to use the existing regulations you've got. In British Columbia, they demanded that the companies would say what's going down in the well. And at that time a year ago, he said, okay, we'll likely have uh, the same re uh, regulation in Alberta. A year later, we don't. So I think the fox guarding the hen house is pretty accurate. It's not jaded. It's real. The, your own industry spokesman for Canada said, just a minute, watch us carefully. And he said that his, I, so I asked him a question. I said, okay, I've been listening to you for hours. Now I'd like to ask you a question. What bothers you about your own uh, understanding of all of this? And he said, okay, what bothers me is we have these real nice casings and all that, but I don't know. We haven't had research done. I said, good research always goes to more research. 
And he said, I don't know what happens when What's this your question, starts Tom? to bubble up. So he had a concern. You called it jaded. Your own industry spokesman had a concern. So my question then is, um, what are you putting down in the ground? And are you going to wait until you got legislation like BC to tell us? Great question, and one that uh, we're expecting. Uh, the answer isn't fully complete yet, and here's why. While BC has frackfocus.ca, where industry releases uh, what's in their frack fluids and chemicals or column additives or whatever they get called, um, we're in the midst of finalizing and requesting what's called a frack plan. And in that frack plan would be the start at assessing what would be done, how it would be done. Moreover, uh, there are different perspectives on hydraulic fracturing and different distinctions between some of what has occurred in the United States, what happens in Eastern Canada as opposed to Western Canada. And we hope that throughout the information sharing uh, and our reach out to you, Tom, uh, that we can uh, advance that dialogue and get that six hours of understanding you speak of uh, help, helpful in this instance as well. Okay, next question. I'll add to that. And, and, and certainly my comment regarding Jade was not directed at an individual. It's more general. You know, how, how can we make sure that government officials are being objective? But in terms of uh, what's required to go down the, what, what's being pumped down the well, there is a new directive that the Alberta regulator came out with, Directive 83, and it's on their website, which actually does require the full disclosure of all of the chemicals and all of the quantities that are being pumped down the well. Essentially, it's, it's going to be water with additives, water with non-toxic additives, and uh, to assist with the, the, the pumping of the, of the uh, fluid and the sand that's going down into the reservoir. So, so have a look at that, and I'd be happy to answer questions um, about that. Okay, next question. Uh, Liz Groves. Um, I just moved to Lethbridge at the beginning of May, so this is a, a kind of an interesting um, um, forum for me. Um, you mentioned 300 um, cubic meters of water for uh, the fracking purpose. Is that per day? wasn't sure. You also mentioned an aquifer. One time. One time. Okay. One time? For each well. For yeah. each well. So um, we would times that by three for a total volume of water to be used for that purpose. Then why, why then are we having problems with water issues in the city of Lethbridge? That doesn't sound like very much water to me. One time, 1,000 cubic, cubic meters. Um, and an aquifer. Like, are we dealing with, is that another name for the Old Man River? Or what? No. The, the protection of an aquifer. Province has been mapped out by the uh, combination of uh, Alberta Environment and the Alberta Geological Survey, and they've come up with a, a map that you can all access called ST55. Don't ask me where they came up with that. I think ST stands for a statistical series, but it's it's available, and you can see that the entire uh, province is mapped out by township and range. Each township has a has a designated depth of water protection, so it's a different aquifer in different areas. So uh, the actual name of this aquifer, I don't have at my fingertips, but you can actually go into that SD55 and you'll be able to see the name of it and know it's not the Old Man River. It's something much deeper down at 350 meters uh, below ground uh, level and it's, it's, got, it's a different name. It's a different aquifer than the Old Man River. Okay, next question. Uh, my name is Chris Spearman. Uh, as I listen to the presentation, uh, 
as I listened to the presentation, it seemed to me that you said that you were you were doing this uh, drilling uh, because you had an obligation to the provincial government. How much did you pay for that obligation? And what would it take to relieve you of that obligation? Because we have provincial representatives right here in the room. Yeah. Information I'm, I don't have right now in terms of what Golden Key paid for the ability to access the minerals. Uh, my understanding is that went through a private bid, and I'm not sure how or if we can get that particular piece of the answer back. Uh, there's many options around uh, getting out of the lease uh, with the government, um, one of which is, uh, you know, Golden Key saying, no, we're actually not going to do it, and we'll pay the price uh, of exiting the terms with the provincial government, and that's but one option. I'd like to remind everybody that these are exploratory wells, and not unlike Bonavista happened, uh, there's a chance that they could be dry if they do get approved and do get drilled. They could be dry, one, both, all, or they might actually be evaluated such that there is some value in producing some of the oil from that formation. So we are uh, taking it step by step and hopefully together with those of you in the room here and those of you who are unable to make it here today and maybe express interest along the way. Okay, next. Hi, I'm Nana Ibbotson. My question was asked, but I'm here to say um, I don't welcome fracking in my backyard. I live very near Chinook High School, and um, my children have attended that school, and I wonder how you would feel having your children near a fracking site. I wouldn't be with integrity if I... Uh, was here saying things other than what I'm saying. Um, I believe that uh, my path through this world includes uh, uh, understanding a broad range of information and perspectives on certain topics, one of which is hydraulic fracturing. And there is a lot of different things, both technical and non-technical, inside of hydraulic fracturing. And I continue to uh, learn more about that topic every time I talk about it every time a community raises it, every time the media portrays it, and every time I hear a certain person use certain sources for their views on hydraulic fracturing. And it's that kind of conversation I really enjoy getting into with people around, you know, what is the information that sources and informs us to take the positions and viewpoints that we do? Okay. I would reside, and would purchase a home on the west end of Lethbridge. Okay. If I was to answer the question, I will be direct and frank. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be here today if I didn't believe that I could. Yeah. I'm tempted to ask where you live. But uh, my name's Dave McCaffrey, and like many people in the room, I'm acutely concerned with the fact that this is a potentially sour gas well upwind of one of the windiest cities in the country. I see you grimacing, but I'm actually going to direct my question to Dave Hill. Yeah, sure, Dave. I was just visualizing, you know, okay, what that release looks like if it does happen. So that's where I went. Okay. Uh, now, Dave, would you mind? Uh, Dave gave some specifics about this. You mentioned the 400 parts per millimeter uh, maximum, which is a ratio, and compared that to the uh, point 
to the 13th of 1,000th meter cubed per second, which is a rate. You can't even compare the two. So also, uh, do you know that 400 meters, 400 parts per, mil, for, per million is above the 3 to 350 parts per million lethal limit of H2S? Um, I'm, I'm sure that these are well within the regulations of the regulator, but again, is, are these safe limits that can be trusted from a regulator that's funded completely by industry? And, and, those, uh, and, and those limits have been in place a long time, um, long before the funding ratio was 100%. So they've been in place for quite some time. So was it before that we knew that the lethal limit was 300 to 350 parts per million? Why is it at 400 in your document here? Well, it is what it is. It's 400 parts per million is what we'd be anticipating. Is the maximum possible output. And what I'm saying is that that's well above the lethal limit of H2S upwind of a very dense, like okay. a city of 90,000 okay. people. And I think okay. the factor that a lot of us don't maybe take into consideration is, is the dilution factor, right? So, so when you have a release of something like that, the, the fact even with wind, it's going to dilute so quickly that the, the PPM range is now so low, and that's why the regulator has based their requirements on, yeah. on based on uh, dispersion science. I'm actually. familiar with okay. gravity motion, but I live a couple hundred meters down from there, and I'm a little more concerned. Yeah, yeah. So well, there will be no H2S. That all, any, any, any gas is being collected, and it's going to be it's scrubbed out of any H2S with an amine system, and, and the gas will be sweet going into Bonavistas. They can't take sour any sour gas in their system so it will be sweet going into the system this is so you have, no, sweet means sweet means zero h2s no h2s content okay this will be the last question my name is uh, maria fitzpatrick and i should have uh, two questions one is just a little one you should be able to answer quickly uh 300 uh, cubic meters how many liters is that? No, 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 no. I'd like the speaker to answer. Times a thousand. A thousand? Times multiply that number by a thousand. There's a thousand liters in a cubic meter. Okay. Uh, now, my second uh, issue is uh, you said in your presentation environmental issues, and the first part of your presentation it said noise, dust, and traffic. And then later in your presentation, you added water. Uh, I lived for a number of years in Yellowknife, where uh, Giant Mine and Cominco had two gold mines. So my question is, what kind of products do you use uh, for your process? Because my example of Yellowknife, um, the byproduct was arsenic. They said they did all of the proper... Um, environmental controls to make sure that arsenic didn't uh, um, go seep into the water uh, level, and it did. And that was Precambrian Shield, where they were drilling. And uh, they did everything they were supposed to do. Uh, people were injured, uh, affected, their whole lives affected, or they died because of arsenic poisoning. So I'm pretty concerned when uh, your environmental issues uh, talks about noise first, dust, traffic, and then later in your presentation talks about water. 
because sure. I am concerned yeah. that your byproducts will wind up in our water. So, yeah, the, the intention wasn't to omit water uh, and think of it as something over in the corner. Um, I'm not sure where the pre-Cambrian shield is in relation to, in terms of depth and proximity to water aquifers in your experience uh, as it relates to the Big Valley Formation. Um, I can say and reiterate what Dave said, that we are uh, mandated to release what is included in the operations, and we will do that. We have to. Uh, we don't know it at this time, but we know that we will make that available. And if arsenic is on that list, it will surprise me. But well, I'm not saying that arsenic is. I gave you an example right. of the gold mine. Right. What I'm saying is whatever is going to come out of this process, what are we going to be facing as residents in this area uh, after you go in and do your number? Uh, then I'm a little concerned about that. Thank you. Okay, that's the last question, and thank you. We can keep on the questioning, but the Shaw piece is finished. Is that correct? Yeah, that has to be shut down. So we have to get out of here. This is a rented facility. And I'm so. open to taking it. So Go ahead. if not at the microphone, on the floor. Okay, Mr. Wendell, it's not Spiaki. My name is Rebecca Many Great Horses, and I'm from the Blood Reserve. I, ha I have bought a townhouse on the west side, very close to uh, Chinook High. My daughter goes to school here in town. I'm a taxpayer. And my question is, um, where have you designated a spot where this um, frack water is going to be disposed of? And why is it that every time that we ask what the chemical recipes of the frat fluid, no oil company is ever willing to answer that question? So that's my, my, one of my questions. Uh, the other thing that I would just like to comment on before I get off the mic is um, I would just like to urge uh, the Lethbridge residents to do your own research. Um, on the blood reserve, we have fracking going on there. And on the north side, we have our own gas land. We have hundreds of these uh, oil wells that are going up there. So I uh, urge you to do your own research, educate your family, educate your, uh, your community members um, on the, uh, the potential contamination of uh, fracking and of these, this oil development. Thank you, Rebecca. I um, appreciate that uh, series of questions and comments. I'll add uh, to that in the answer that uh, currently we are evaluating uh, two or three approved disposal facilities. Once we land on one, of course... I'm just waiting for her to sit down. Uh, once we land on one, of course, we will disclose uh, what is in place in order to dispose of the water and have that conversation. It'll be a well disposal, we understand. Um, that said, uh, the chemical recipes and companies not disclosing them, I'll reiterate that we're mandated to do it. Uh, we fully intend to do it. And if we don't, I'm sure we're going to hear about it. I can count on you for that, correct? Good. 
education is a very important element, and Rebecca, thank you for raising that, because I, too, I encourage you to get yourselves educated and be sure to look at all kinds of different sources. The Internet is a great resource. It has good information. It has other kinds of all kinds of information. I also encourage you to contact the regulatory bodies, Alberta Environment, and the Alberta Energy Regulator. They have field offices. I'm not. I'm, I'm saying I still get educated on a regular basis on these topics. I think I've said that already, and I encourage you to continue your process of learning if you think you should. If your mind's already made up, it's already made up. Okay, thank you very much, Tim and Dave, and thank you, everyone, for coming and for your interest. Thank you.